And good evening to you. Just past the 8 o'clock hour. And uh, I am James Brierton along with Shay Gibson. Welcome to uh, this week's edition of the Carolina Weather Group. It is May 24th, 2017. If you are listening on our rebroadcast and uh, for, for those of you joining us on all of our live platforms, hello to you on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. <coughs> Uh, please feel free to comment throughout the show. We're going to have a very busy night for you. Uh, if you are watching on uh, Periscope or Facebook tonight, uh, just off to the side of our video screen here, you can see we are continuing to track severe weather across the Carolinas. The top box is radar uh, for both North and South Carolina with the latest warnings scrolling there on the bottom box. We've, uh, or I thought we had filtered it out to just warnings, although as I say that, there goes the special weather statement. So either way, you got some of the latest texts from uh, our colleagues and friends at the National Weather Service. Uh, scrolling across the bottom there. Uh, our, our topic for tonight is an important one. It's uh, racecastweather.com. We have Doug Schneider from Knoxville, Tennessee, and Scott Martin from just uh, outside of Birmingham, Alabama. They're going to be talking to us about their website, uh, about some of the big race events that are happening this weekend. This is a great week to be having this show, uh, and we'll be getting to them in just a moment. But first, as we always do, we're going to go around the panel here uh, from the Carolina Weather Group and find out what's happening in different parts of the state. And I think no matter where you live in the state, the answer is going to be very similar. It's hot, it's humid, it's sticky until those big thunderstorms come rolling on through. Lots of uh, severe weather events in the last 48 hours alone, and we're not quite out of the woods just yet. Although, Shea Gibson in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, we're getting pretty close. Yeah, Ricky, we're just now getting out of all of our severe weather. I think we have one more round of rain, uh, maybe some heavy rain here in a little while, and then that's going to be it for us. I think pretty much the system that's causing this is upper lows. It's Associated trough is going to head off to the northeast overnight tonight and into tomorrow and, and drag the whole mess offshore from us uh, with the cold front. So we're looking at getting back to some sort of normalcy, a little bit of a west-southwest flow, maybe a zonal westerly flow by the end of the day uh, to help dry things out. Friday is looking pretty good right into the weekend. <clears throat> Memorial Day weekend looks really good for us with sunny skies and southerly sea breezes. So we're looking forward to that. But yes, we did have some severe weather yesterday and today in parts of South Carolina and down de definitely down into Georgia. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and do a share screen. And let me see here. Ed Petrowski in Myrtle Beach caught a pretty good uh, snippet, or he shared one. He retreated one uh, from J. Gregory Fox 28. And we go ahead and play this. This is, this is the funnel cloud uh, that became a tornado. Uh, and as it went over the marshlands, of course, you could, you could call this a uh, water spout, but I'm going to go ahead and push push this. Uh, it's usually, it keeps tornado characteristic or the uh, tornado label, even if it goes over the water when it comes from land. This one did come from land from Chatham County over by Wilmington Island and then it scooted on across. This is, I think, the Savannah River. And this is a pretty good size uh, tornado. It was listed as an EF0, even though preliminary findings showed it as an EF1 because there were a lot of downed power lines and trees, but there was no home damage that I know of. The report is still yet to come out from the National Weather Service, Charleston. And let me see if there's another picture you had right here. This, and, this is pretty good. This shows the debris ball. This was actually showing up on radar yesterday under uh, correlation coefficient, I'm sorry, uh, the coefficient uh, in radar, and you can see the debris ball. So you can definitely see the touchdown there uh, as it goes over water. And like I said, National Weather Service does keep this as an EF0 tornado. Go ahead and stop presenting on that one. And that pretty much, uh, that is pretty much the only one down in that area. There was another one that was supposedly sighted a little bit further off to the southwest. The mid-state South Carolina today, let me see if I can get this one on screen. 
<clears throat> we did have some more activity. And I know James, we wanted to get back to the show, so I don't want to get too much into this, but uh, we did have some severe weather today with tornadic activity near Prosperity. This is showing up in uh, near Columbia, just uh, northeast, or sorry, northwest of Columbia and Prosperity. Uh, EF0 tornado, house is damaged. You can see the little bit of a line there. There's another one here um, that I think was a different system. So a few spotty um, tornadic activity cells going on in the southeast. I think there was a little bit more up in North Carolina. I'll turn that over to you. <clears throat> but the main thing is that the severe weather is moving its way out of the South Carolina area and then heading up to North Carolina and ultimately Virginia. So back to you, James. Yeah, and, and that's uh, right there, Shay. Uh, we were watching kind of the last of those storms to uh, kind of begin moving out. We had tornado warnings all across the state. Sampson County, uh, North Carolina, yesterday lost a firehouse due to a suspected tornado. Uh, we are going to come back at the end of the show and kind of break down the latest storm reports. The reason I want to do that at the end of the show as opposed to the start of the show is for two reasons. A, we do not have any tornado warnings right now in North Carolina or South Carolina. Certainly, if we did, we would uh, kind of focus there. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that and uh, do, we'll bring those to you if we do get some. We do have a tornado watch out for most of the, the state still at this point. Uh, the other reason, uh, as Shay mentioned, the National Weather Service, two days in a row here of uh, some severe weather and I think frankly they are still working on getting as many of those storm reports out as quickly as possible and they are working their hardest and I really just want to kind of give them as much time as possible before we kind of go uh, office by office, uh, region by region uh, here in the Carolinas and break down some of those. So we will get to that coming up. That's uh, right, James. The, yeah, the survey teams are out. So a lot of the WFOs or weather forecasting offices, they have survey teams. They have two, maybe three people that are going out to, to survey the site, do investigation, uh, and sort of gather the information to, get, to classify whatever tornadoes that have touched down and get these damage reports in. So that's what we're kind of waiting on. Yeah, and we'll, I think we'll have a little bit more information uh, in the next few minutes or so. Even as we were just coming on air, I was watching Columbia publish some reports from the storms you mentioned. Um, but some of that information is really going to come in in the next 24 to 48 hours after they get on scene and have a chance to look at this with their own human eyeballs. Uh, so, you know, we're not going to have everything here tonight, but we will bring you what we have coming up. Uh, let's uh, bring in our guests now. Uh, again, Doug Schneider and uh, Scott Martin. Uh, they run a website uh, that some of you may have seen if we have a lot of race fans out there. It's called racecastweather.com. And uh, Doug, I will start with you. Uh, how's the weather in your neck of the woods? Well, we're having storms today over here in East Tennessee. Um, but uh, you know, Scott and I are really looking forward to uh, some good racing this weekend with the Indy 500 coming up. Um, uh, we have a sports car race up in Connecticut that we're keeping an eye on. And uh, then, of course, the NASCAR race over in Charlie is a big one, too. So got some big races coming up this weekend we're excited about uh big memorial day race is coming up so we're so glad you guys were able to join us uh this week and let's go to uh scott uh who's uh just outside the birmingham area what about you did you see any of those storms coming rolling through your neck of the woods uh we had a few that um got strong today and the uh, national weather service only issued swas on those but uh, as far as severe weather we've we've been pretty fortunate today you know we're on the bottom side of the uh low that's moving through the southeast right now so we're still having some moisture come through some scattered storms but nothing like what's up in the carolinas right now yeah absolutely and, and even the state of georgia all uh that entire peach shade at one point today under a tornado watch so uh, an impressive yeah. system uh, yet again uh 
our thoughts are with everyone who, who maybe has been affected by these storms uh, one way or the other. Uh, so, gentlemen, I want to start the conversation just by uh, taking a step back. And for anyone who's not familiar with your website, I'm hoping one of you can kind of give us a uh, elevator pitch or a synopsis, if you will, about what your website's all about. Sure, I can do that. Um, well, Racecast Weather is uh, something that uh, Scott and I started about three years ago, um, and it kind of grew out of uh, my forecast that I do for social media for the uh, sports car and IndyCar races across the United States. Um, I started doing those in January 2014 just because I have an interest in both weather and in racing. So I would do my own forecast just casually, seeing what the weather's gonna be for any particular race that I was gonna watch. Um, and then I discovered on Twitter, a guy named Brian Newdorf. And Brian does rate, uh, race forecasts for all of the NASCAR races. Um, so I thought, well, my interest is in Indy cars and sports cars, so why not uh, go ahead and start making forecasts for fans, uh, teams, and the series officials for them to look at and be aware of the weather that's coming in. So uh, I started doing that January 2014. Uh, a few months later, um, I came across Scott on Twitter and learned that he was also a race fan and also an aspiring meteorologist at the time. And uh, so we kind of got together. Uh, we started to work together to do the forecasts and we decided to call it racecastweather.com, started the website. We also, we're also on Facebook and Instagram as well to distribute our forecasts. And it's just been really fun. It's taken off probably way more than I ever expected that it would. It's just kind of a fun thing that we do. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's really gotten good reception from fans and, and teams as well. Oh, that's fantastic. So even the teams themselves coming to you to find out what the weather is going to be for the races that they'll be competing in. That's right. Yeah. It's pretty neat. <laughs> and, and, Scott, what about you? Is there a particular series or race type that you like to focus on? Um, really, I'm just a big fan of racing in general. Um, I really do love the IndyCar series, especially uh, since I have attended each uh, race that's been in Birmingham since they started a few years back. And uh, that's really grown on me. Uh, when I was first, uh, before I started this, I was a big NASCAR fan. And uh, joining Doug to start Racecast Weather, I pretty much grew into loving every form of motorsports now uh sports car racing is huge right now to me but unfortunately the the best sports car series that we have um pulled out of birmingham this year so uh unfortunately i didn't get to see them this year but all in all yeah sports car racing and indycar are my favorites right now uh, fantastic. Let's talk a little NASCAR, uh, if we can, because we've got the big race, Coca-Cola 600, as well as some of those other races associated with the 10 Days of Thunder here at Charlotte Motor Speedway already underway. The big race this weekend. Uh, we have festivities going on in Uptown for Speed Street. Uh, I'm wondering if one of you gentlemen can let all the folks at home in the Uptown area or all the folks who are going to be converging on the Queen City know, what are they in for this weekend? Well, uh, I, again, uh, Brian Newdorf, Newdorf does a, just a great job uh sending out his forecast on twitter for uh, the nascar races so i'm going to borrow his forecast and i'm going to just uh share that with you um this is what the forecast looks like for charlotte this weekend looks like pretty nice weather on friday and saturday um no chance of some uh showers and storms 
uh, in the afternoon Sunday and then continuing into Sunday night uh, for the race. Um, I think, you know, it's just pretty low and scattered showers and thunderstorms. So um, nothing that looks like it's going to be major. I think from what he, his discussion, uh, he was fairly confident the race was going to stay dry, but can't rule out a, a shower or thunderstorm during the race. It seems like every Memorial Day weekend, the, the rain showers always seem to find their way into Charlotte, uh, as I remember from, from years past. So we will keep an eye on the sky. And uh, for those of you tuning in, wondering uh, where our friend Scotty is, he is down at the racetrack all this week. So you can uh, uh, follow him for forecast as well, as well as Brian as uh, uh, from uh, – Racecast weather is is watching the race uh, this weekend as well, but it's not just NASCAR as I understand it. It's also the Indy 500. Yes, that's right. And I had the forecast for the Indy 500. Let me screen share on that real quick. Um, forecast is actually looking decent. Um, let's see for uh, Friday. There's going to be a small chance of a shower or thunderstorm, probably in the mid to late afternoon hours, but it should be after uh, the Carb Day festivities and the uh, Freedom 100 for the Indy Lights race is finished. So it should be no impact on the race for that, but for like the concert that comes afterwards, um, there may be a shower or two there. A uh, slow moving system is going to move in on Friday night and could bring a chance of strong to possibly severe storms the last time I looked at it. And uh, those storms should continue through the night into Saturday morning. And there should be a short lull for the uh, activities that day. There's not an active race on Saturday at the track, but there's going to be some activities and uh, concerts that day. So people who are going to attend the track that day uh, may want to watch out, keep their eyes open for uh, storms then. Those storms will continue through the night and should start to come to an end as we approach eight o'clock on Sunday morning. And the threat of rain should decrease throughout the day as that slow moving system finally makes its way through the uh, Indianapolis area. Right now, uh, it says 40% on my uh, forecast graphic, but uh, I'm actually gonna lower that by 10% when I do tonight's update. So it's gonna be a 30% chance mostly before uh, 3 p.m. So it doesn't look too bad. I believe they can get the whole race in no problem on Sunday. So you're gonna, you're gonna make a change to the precipitation forecast uh, in your uh, forecast here. What type of data do you look at? Do you have a particular model you like, a particular data set? Um, mainly, um, you know, I compare like what far out, you know, I use the GFS and I use the Canadian to kind of gauge on what's going on. And then when the NAM 3K gets in within range, you know, I'll throw that in there as well. And then when we're within 15 hours, I'll throw in the HRRR. And so I'll use a combination of all of those to see what's, you know, playing out in those models. And um, looking at the NAM, the latest run of the NAM uh, last night, um, we're showing a good chance of showers you know, still being around in the area on Sunday morning. And then they're kind of just slowly dissipating as the afternoon goes on. But uh, looking at the latest run, it doesn't look as bad. And they should be out of the area a little bit quicker. Shay, I see you on the microphone. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Doug. Uh, one thing that Scott didn't mention was that he has a background in graphic design, uh, which is really important these days in you know, forecasting. Um, so when he and I teamed up, I was just so glad to find somebody who was really skilled in making some great looking forecast graphics. And Scott has uh, just done a great job with that. And um, so I'm really uh, happy to have his talents on board with RaceCast Weather. And uh, I will second that. Those are some good-looking graphics. Uh, you know, we are always trying to make some good-looking graphics here at the Carolina Weather Group, but I do not have a background in graphic design. And I know Shay Gibson does some nice graphics as well. And Shay, I see that you are unmuted. I uh, wasn't sure if you wanted to hop in here with a question. Yeah, nice zeroing in on me there, James. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. No, I, I think it's wonderful what you guys are doing. Uh, and the graphics are great because they're right in tune with with what's going on. It looks like something professional that you would see for any major race event. Uh, I'm assuming that those graphics those go get pushed out to all of the sponsors and the media event organizers. Is that correct? Well, we, um, we send them out on, uh, on all of our social media markets. Uh, we really hit Twitter and Facebook hard. Um, not only do we send it out on our uh, Racecast Weather Twitter account, but we also send it out on our personal feeds as well. And on, uh, I know for myself, when I set up a, a forecast on Facebook, on our Facebook page, I will also share that out on my personal page. And uh, we have, you know, a, few, a couple of the series actually follow us on Twitter. And like Doug said earlier, we have a bunch of race teams that actually follow us. So when we send our forecasts out, we make sure that we include as many in the tweet as we can. And then they just spread out from there. That's um that's pretty neat. I'm I'm wondering, do you ever kind of um bounce things off the local meteorologist? Do you have uh the chief meteorologist or TV Mets that you kind of tune in with in the local area or or is this something that you just sort of zero in? Um I'm assuming you probably don't attend every event, but because I I'm sure there's probably simultaneous events going on that you there's no way possible. Uh do you sort of tune into the city like maybe Charlotte, you get like Brad Panovich or someone like that and say, Hey, what do you think? Uh, of the weather upcoming for this weekend. Uh, do you correlate your information with any of those guys? Uh, sometimes we'll uh, take a look and see what they're saying on Twitter. Um, usually we'll kind of uh, prepare our own forecast independently. Um, I know when I make a forecast, I like to double check and see what the National Weather Service is doing and read their forecast discussion uh, to make sure we're on the same page. So um, I think that for me, that's much, pretty much the extent of it. And it's, it's about the same for me. I'll double check with the National Weather Service. And uh, every once and again, I'll uh, check with the uh, Twitter account of the local meteorologist in that area. Uh, but, yeah, most of all, I just, I'll just i bounce mine off the National Weather Service forecast. I'm assuming you probably don't copy and paste their forecast area discussions out to your social media followers, do you? No. <laughs> no, that's, that's their deal. <laughs> I understand that. So um, <clears throat> the other question I had was, I'm assuming that there's probably a lot of pressure that comes along with forecasting for these kind of events. You have a lot of uh, race teams, like you said, uh, lots of sponsors, lots of people that are depending on the weather to sort of just cooperate with these events. Uh, I think most people just kind of, they assume the weather's gonna just be fine and that they'll just go and everything's cool. Uh, but when there's a threat of rain like what you have in the Indy 500, I think it was Indy 500 
um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, that's right. Yeah, there's a threat of rain on Saturday, so that that's that could be a wash, 50% chance or more. That's that's pretty significant. I mean, that could be a washout for the whole day. What does that mean for you? What kind of pressure does that put on you, and what does that mean for the race? Well, for me, it's it's really coming back to you know getting just negative feedback from people on uh, you know just on tweets and stuff like that, but. We personally are not in direct contact with any of the, uh, like the sponsors or, uh, you know, we, we just forward stuff out to the race teams and, you know, the race teams use our forecast sometimes. And most of the time they'll use what, whatever the series is using. And, um, I know like the IndyCar series, they have their own, uh, setup that they use down on pit road. And, um, I know a couple other series, they like to use apps or they'll bounce their stuff off a of local meteorologist when they go into that town for that weekend. But um, I've seen a few series who have actually used our information to, uh, you know, to move a race time up just in case we have impending storms moving in. Uh, just recently when I was at uh, Barber Motorsports Park, for the IndyCar weekend, the uh, global Mazda MX-5 race, they actually saw uh, our live radar image from uh, our website and actually gauged on moving their race start time up about 15 minutes to actually get the entire race in before the storms arrived. And sure enough, on the cool down lap, uh, it started raining. And by the time they made it back to pit road to, uh, you know, do the victory lane celebration and everything. That's when the bottom fell out. So yeah, sometimes they use our information and, uh, it works out. Now I had an experience where I had a pretty bad forecast and I was dealing face to face with the people I was uh, giving the forecast to. Um, I had an opportunity last year to go to Virginia international raceway over in Danville and, uh, Danville, Virginia. And, um, I was CEO there, Kerrigan Smith, who uh, obviously runs the track, and I was keeping him up to date on the, the weather and with my forecast through the week. And I had a, a sunny, dry forecast, um, and then I get to the track to do some on-site weather consulting for him. And uh, then that Saturday, uh, everything's looking nice through the morning. Early afternoon, we start to get a few uh, towering queue developing. Um, and then right in the middle of one of the races, this, the bottom drops out. It just absolutely downpour. And uh, so I, I had to, of course, apologize to him for my misforecast. But that also allowed me to – he set me up with the, um, the um, race director, who the person who runs the race, who de decides when the caution flag comes out, if the race needs to be stopped for weather, uh, things like that. So – uh, the CEO of the track took me over to talk to the race director and I got to say to him, uh, you know, I, this rain is probably going to last another 15 or so minutes. So he needed to keep the, ra the race stopped through that time. And then I saw on radar, another shower was going to be coming through. So um, that kind of helped him to um, the timing was going to be how long the track was going to have time to dry before they start the race back up again. So um, kind of a initially, uh, some negative things that turn into positives for me. 
yeah. it was a neat experience. That's always good. That 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 not only builds character, but it also it's a confidence it's a confidence builder thing. That we've all been through that. I mean, we've all uh, those of us in forecasting, we certainly understand and, and have been through that before. Where you're you're right there, you're at the event, and and you're telling people this this is what's supposed to happen, and then something else, you know, and a, a variable comes in, and so now they're looking at you like, well, how long is this going to happen? Uh, yes. Right, and you know, I think their mentality is their mentality is what's going to happen is going to happen. You know, they understand that we're going to make mistakes. Forecast is not perfect all the time. Um, yeah, we do the best we can, but be prepared for the weather and how things might evolve, but they're flexible and they understand that, you know, we're going to miss, make mistakes sometimes. Now, Doug, you brought up an interesting point. That was a good segue for another topic I was going to bring up is how long is it before a track is ready to drive on and, and what sort of procedures do they take to dry the track? I, I mean, you have enough rain to, to make the track completely wet. What is the process after that once it stops raining? Well, that really varies from track to track. Um, a lot of the NASCAR tracks, the big ovals, where you absolutely have to have a track before you can race, uh, they'll have their jet dryers that go around the track and uh, create a lot of heat and wind to help evaporate that moisture off the track as quickly as possible. So places like uh, Indianapolis, Daytona, those big tracks have their own equipment or NASCAR will have equipment that they bring to the track. But most of the sports car races and the road courses that um, these races take place on, they can't afford fancy equipment like that. So they just have to you know, hope for the best, wait for the track to dry by itself. They'll send out maybe some sweepers uh, out on the track. Um, and sometimes what they'll do is actually send the race cars out on the track under a caution flag, send them around the track pretty slowly, and that'll help create a little bit more heat in the track to help uh, quicken the evaporation process. And plus, the, the angle of the track itself is a, is a good drainer for water, correct? For most of it? Uh, right. Certainly, those bank tracks, the ovals will certainly, um, the runoff will be a lot quicker, so there's better opportunity for drying on those tracks. But on the road courses, again, you know, th there's a lot of hills and, and valleys in the track where you, you can have water accumulating. There can be a lot of ponding. Uh, in fact, this past weekend, there was a race up in uh, Canada where they had to they had to call the race because there was just uh, too much standing water that was on the track. And in the sports car races and the IndyCar Indy road course races, they have tires that can handle some rainfall. Um, they can race in the rain, usually a moderate rain, but once that water really starts to accumulate in low spots on the track, they have to stop the racing, no matter what kind of uh, tires are available to them to use. Yeah, that was going to – you read my mind. I was going to ask about that too. You know, the tires matter too because they're, they're slicks, and uh, they're, they're made for – I'm sure they're made for gripping. I'm sure there's a whole science behind that that I, that I, won't, that I don't understand. Uh, but I, I certainly understand looking at the tires and – Wet track equals, you know, slippery conditions. Uh, Scott, what about your experience with that, with with wet tracks? Do you know? Do they have a different process for Indy 500, or is he speaking for pretty much all of those races? Well, the Indy 500 is pretty much the same as like a typical NASCAR race. They'll have their own track drying equipment out there, uh, jet dryers. They'll have sweepers, and say like if when NASCAR runs there later this year for the Brickyard 400, you know if it was to rain they'll have what the, you know the air tighten machines 
and it's like a big truck that has a big huge green box on the back of it that creates heat and air that blows down into the track and helps you know get the water out and uh, but as far as like the smaller tracks you may have some smaller track drying systems or uh, most of the time they'll run the uh, like the safety vehicles they'll run those around the track try to create a dry line in the track and uh, I know at Barber which is the local uh, road course track here in Birmingham uh, they run all the safety equipment vehicles uh, the track trucks the ambulances the uh, sweepers they run them all until they can get the track dry enough to where the uh, rain tires are actually good enough to grip onto the track at that point i think of jet dryers i think of jato rockets like mounted to the back of things <laughs> <laughs> i mean uh, you know the the one truck that comes to mind is that what is that 18 wheeler or the uh the semi truck what's it called rocket phantom or i, I can't remember the name of it but it goes to all those air vents it just fires out flames. There's, I think there's two oh, yeah. rocket jets on the back of it. <laughs> you were talking about a truck with a green box. So, yeah, I mean, I could I could see something like that. Ricky, um, I'm not Ricky, but uh, James. Gosh, I, I thought Ricky. Uh, <laughs> Ricky's on your mind. He's out uh, still covering the weather, uh, I guess, in, in Doug's neck in the woods, kind of, or in portions of, uh, of Tennessee and such. And that actually does bring me to my next question. Uh, reading your bios, uh, Doug and Scott, on racecastweather.com. There's the plug again. I'm going to see how many times I can get it in. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know, how do you balance the website with what I imagine is a day job elsewhere? Well, that's a good question. Um, we, uh, you know, we try to do most of our forecasting, you know, obviously at home uh, when we're, you know, uh, well, Scott works from home, so he has to, he probably can has a, a different situation than I have. Um, but yeah, I, uh, you know, work at the National Weather Service over in Morristown, Tennessee. And so, um, you know, I stay busy over there. There's a lot of quiet downtime where I can look at weather in other parts of the country um, when I'm at the office there. Uh, but I you know, try to make my forecast from home for most of the time. And, um, yeah, it's it's actually uh, – um, Scott's probably got a different perspective than I have. Yeah, for me, it's it's, you know, trying to balance it between – doing my day work for, uh, you know, the Alabama weather blog. Um, you know, and I do some contract work with the uh, national weather association right now, uh, doing their, uh, journal of operational meteorologies, uh, uh, articles that are posted up on the site. And then, uh, you know, whatever work, you know, I have to do, you know, not only here at the house and, uh, you know, help with, you know, family chores and, you know, with spend time with the family and everything. Uh, my race cast weather stuff when I'm doing forecast will usually come towards the end of my day before bedtime. But when during the weekend, during an event, I will actually spend time and, uh, you know, I'll have my radar pulled up on my uh, laptop over on my side here. And that continually loads 
you know, the latest image up on our website so people can actually see the radar. I'll have it pulled up. I'll have the race going on a live stream on one corner of my screen, and then I'll have, you know, then the National Weather Service chat room for that location pulled up on this side to make sure that I'm not missing something if something is issued. Um, but yeah, um, so sometimes, you know, my weekends can be taken up with race cast weather, but you know, I'm a, I'm a weather geek. I'm a race fan. My family understands that. And, you know, I spend as much time with them as possible, but they know that, you know, this is an interest of mine. So they allow me to have time to do this and, and, uh, you know, some good stuff has come from it. I'm hearing some true passion out of out of both of you, and that is uh, quite wonderful. And and luckily, you've got some uh, day jobs that I think complement your interests uh, and and things you do for the website. So help to keep an eye on that as well too. Um, Scott, you mentioned that you spend a lot of time on the weekends watching those races. I'm wondering where did your interest in racing? Where did your interest in weather start? Was it in your childhood? Well, it's it's kind of a a long story, but the nutshell is, um, back when I was a real young child and, uh, my mom and dad would work, I would spend time at my grandparents' house and they were pretty afraid of weather. And anytime a, uh, thunderstorm would pop up, you know, we would always have to go get in the car and go park right in front of our storm shelter that was right there in our neighborhood. We'd have to park right in front of it. Now, we would listen to uh, National Weather Service radio out of Birmingham and listen to the late, great J.B. Elliott if a warning came out and he'd give us the latest updates. And uh, so my, I guess my passion for weather started from there, but then uh, it really caught hold of me on April 27, 2011. Um, at the time I was living in Fultondale, which is just right outside the uh, northern part of Birmingham. And of course, the tornado, the big F, uh, EF4, that came up from Tuscaloosa through the northern part of Birmingham, missed my house within a mile. And uh, if it would have stayed on its same path, it would have leveled our neighborhood. But right before it got there, it kind of turned to the right a little bit and headed away and actually lifted a little bit for about maybe 10, 15 miles before it got to the east side of Jefferson County. So after that day, my passion for weather really took off because too many people lost their lives that day. And I wanted to be able to make a difference. And, uh, and I wanted to be able to get the word out and to keep people safe in, in severe weather, especially, you know, not only here, but everywhere. And then, of course, with the racing deal, when that came along with Doug asking me to join him, it was, you know, a no-brainer. I mean, we've, we've had issues at the track where the racing series or the track would issue severe weather alerts, and there's no severe weather within 100 miles of the track. And so... I go out and, and I'm sure Doug would do this as well, but we will say that, you know, there's no severe weather in the area, but yet if lightning is within a certain amount of miles of the track, go ahead and seek shelter. 
And I know what the tracks and the series are doing is trying to get people to pay attention. But, um, you know, you, you got to use the right terminology and you got to be truthful with the fans in the series when it comes to the weather. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could not I have said that any better myself. And I appreciate you sharing that story from your childhood as well, too. Certainly a scary situation. And it's, it's, it's always a, a good reminder of just the fine line between being in a storm, being in a tornado, and, and not. So I was tracking a, a possible tornado just last night in, in Georgia uh, for a friend uh, who is a uh, high school teacher and was at a school function. And, I mean, it was a matter of, you know, maybe a mile looking at that storm track. So, uh, you know, a, a good reminder of, of, of just that fine line. Uh, let me ask the same question to Doug. Where did your interest in racing come from, your interest in weather? Uh, well, my interest in weather came in uh, 1979 when I was five years old and I was living up in northern New Jersey and Hurricane David came up the East Coast. And uh, by the time it reached New Jersey, it had weakened quite a bit, but still it had flooded our street and knocked down trees. And I was just absolutely fascinated with weather from that moment on. Uh, so that's when I, I fell in love with weather. And uh, in high school, I visited the National Weather Service office. And that's when I knew that that's the work that I wanted to have. And uh, the career I wanted to pursue. Um, and uh, my interest in racing came probably in uh, the mid-80s when I watched Richard Petty win his 100th race, which was in the uh, Pepsi 400 at Daytona. And uh, I kind of grew up uh, mostly a NASCAR fan with some interest in IndyCar and sports cars. Uh, probably in the last few years, my interest in NASCAR has kind of waned a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's... I've really enjoyed combining my two loves of weather and racing together to, to do race cast weather with Scott. A child of Northern New Jersey. I'm thinking two thoughts. One, you must not like snow if you're living here now. And, and two, not too many race fans from up North. Uh, well, first of all, I love snow. Actually, I do. That's one thing I miss about New Jersey. Not a whole lot I miss about it, but that is one of them. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's not a whole, there were not very many race fans. I was kind of a loner in my interest uh, in NASCAR up in uh, New Jersey. But yeah, then my family moved to North Carolina when I was in high school, and I was right in the thick of it. And uh, based on the bio photo on your site, a uh, North Carolina State University grad. So yes, uh, happy to have you on the Carolina Weather Group tonight. Uh, Shay, back over to you. I uh, share the same interest. Hurricane David. I was actually here in Charleston for that, and I was. Jeez, what was I, seven years old? Um, <clears throat> there was a couple of ice storms before that that got me interested. But Hurricane David, I think that one got me. That one uh, hooked me right there. So from a very young age. So I, I hear you on that. Hurricane David was was a pretty interesting storm. There was several other things that happened around that time too, 77, 79. And uh, yeah, that's, that's really neat. What I want to do is um, I want to pull up your website here and just kind of let you talk about it, Scott, if you would. And tell us what uh, what what we can find. Okay, well, on the page that you have pulled up now is our our main page, which is in a blog format. And uh, like I said, this is the uh, the update that I put up late last night for the uh, Indianapolis 500. Um, I will be putting up an up, an update later tonight. Uh, and like I said, you know, the rain chances will be going down. Um, you know, scrolling down, there'll be more updates, The you know, earlier updates to that. 
And uh, Doug's forecast for the uh, sports car race, the Pirelli World Challenge up at uh, Lime Rock, will be on down below that. Um, yeah, there it is. And see, they're going to have a little rain to deal with as well. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that's our main page. And then uh, right now uh, we don't have any active radar running, but the uh, next tab up at the top we have a uh, live feed to radar. And when the event is active, uh, you know, we run Gibson Ridge. And see, this is set for Indianapolis. And like I said, it's not running at this moment, but – I will actually have that started tomorrow morning and running and uh, you'll be able to see live radar as soon as you know the radar updates in Indianapolis we get the feed here at my house and then it'll FTP it up to the website as soon as it's loaded so um, you'll get the latest image every time and it'll show watches and warnings if there's any and also have uh, you know my lightning feed through uh, Allison house. So it'll show, you know, the latest lightning strikes on there. The range rings on there, I have them set closest to the track within 10 miles and then uh, 15 and 20 miles. And then the farthest out is 75, just to give us a good idea about how far out the storms are. And of course, you know, if lightning breaks that 20 mile circle, that's when I'll start sending out, hey, lightning is approaching you know, be ready to seek shelter when it gets to 10 miles. That's when I'll put out a tweet saying, Hey, y'all need to go find shelter now until the storm passes. So, um, and then if you go back to our website, um, I know I, I need to set it. Well, it does go to an, another page 2017 schedules that will show all the uh, races that we do weather for throughout the year. Um, as you see, we do, a pretty wide gamut of racing series, uh, Trans Am series, the IndyCar, Pirelli World Challenge. Uh, we also do the uh, Mazda Road to Indy Ladder series. Um, let's see, we do SCCA events and uh, NASA events. And uh, we also do a little um, uh, World Endurance Challenge races as well. Um, you know, our big races. I'm sorry, go ahead. With the, uh, with the World Endurance uh, Championship races, uh, we're doing forecasts around the world. Uh, so there's, uh, we also do a race in Australia. That's a big event in February. Um, you know, that's, that's an interesting challenge to what we do is just forecasting for uh, all these various tracks around the world. It, it's, it's really fun. That's pretty neat. Do you go through the Australian Weather Service for that? Uh, well, I... Leading up to the event, I try to you know, look at things independently myself, and I have to really get my bearings for the southern hemisphere. <laughs> it takes me a few days of looking at things. To, okay, the thing, you know, low pressure rotates anticyclonically. Um, so, uh, yeah, I take a look and see what the uh, uh, Bureau of Meteorology in Australia is, is doing. But, um, yeah, I took a look at the models myself, too. It's fun. That's pretty neat. You get pretty pretty well rounded. That's that's fantastic that you're able to go to different parts of the world and, and uh, do some forecasting. Very cool. Uh, is there anything else on the website that you wanted to talk about? Uh, let's see. Any links? You got some partners. Yes, those are our um, series that we uh, 
are affiliated with and also other websites that uh, we are partnered with to uh, that use our uh, forecasts and graphics and some of the uh, um, some of the photographers we have listed there as well uh, who have allowed us to freely use their images for our background images and then of course you see uh, favorite weather links down there as well that's you know where we pull our forecast from and just nice weather tools to use and of course y'all will find those pretty familiar <laughs> yep that um i really i really like the radar <clears throat> plan that you have here you have everything okay. laid out very well and, and and that that satellite that radar is, is actually it's right there uh in a very strategic location for that motor speedway so that's uh, I really like what you've done there with with getting you know the lightning within a certain diameter uh, of of the race and being able to call it as is. Yeah, that's a very important part of what we do is keeping fans aware of the weather, and um, we have the the radar and lightning resource that Scott put together there uh, to help fans keep an eye on the radar on their phones when they're at the track. Um, yeah, because these tracks, especially a lot of the road courses where there's sports car, indie car races. There is just no shelter anywhere. So if you have a storm coming through and there's lightning, um, you don't have a lot of time to be prepared and to take action because you're basically out in an open field with trees around you. Um, the options for getting shelter in these uh, racetracks is just very, very limited. Uh, so you know, it's really important to have a good awareness um, of the weather that's approaching and to be prepared in advance for what action you're going to take when there is a storm coming. And I picked up this idea from uh, uh, a couple of the uh, college leagues, uh, like the Southeastern Conference. Uh, I know that they use a uh, an eight-mile window when it comes to lightning. If there's eight miles, if, if lightning strikes within an eight-mile perimeter, they will shut the game down immediately, get everybody on the playing surface into shelter and they will, you know, tell the fans that they need to seek shelter immediately and they will not come out on the field and come back out until the last clap of thunder happened 30 minutes ago. So they make sure they keep their fans and their teams safe. And, uh, you know, I kind of adopted that same rule for this and I expanded it out to 10 miles just because what Doug said, some of these places, there is nothing except grandstands and your car. And you've got to be able to have enough time to be able to make it to your car and enough time if lightning is in the area. Now, of course, when it comes to, you know, severe weather like tornadoes and severe thunderstorms, you know, you're, <laughs> I, I, I hate to say it, some of the places don't really have, you know, good shelter for that. Yeah, and I think that's the case we've seen in, in several places, and I think that's what makes what you guys do all that more important to be out ahead of the storm to try to avoid getting into a situation where you're suddenly finding yourself with, with non-adequate 
uh, shelter. So uh, as we're coming up to the nine o'clock hour, I know in a few moments here, we're going to go ahead and we're going to start looking at some of the storm reports that came into the Carolinas uh, in the last 48 hours or so. But I'm also checking uh, our live feeds of folks who are watching with us on social. And so I want to do a call to action to them to say, if you have any questions for Doug or for Scott, uh, now would be a good time to put those into the comment field so we can ask them live here on the air. But if we do have folks who are listening to the podcast and want to reach out to you guys directly, how can they find you on social media? Uh, we'll let either one of you guys jump in with that. I know you both have uh, social media accounts that you maintain. Right. Well, we have the Racecast Weather Twitter account, which is the uh, it's at Racecast WX. Um, in my personal uh, Twitter account, which I send my forecasts for the races that I'm doing to my personal account, and that's at Race Number Four Caster. And uh, my personal Twitter account is at race WX number four and you. Um, and then of course we have our Facebook page as well, which is uh, at racecast WX since Facebook now allows to do the same as Twitter with the uh, at symbol at the beginning. So we have that. We also have our Instagram account, which is racecast weather. And that's all we have right now at this moment. Um, as far as social media. Oh, plenty, plenty to maintain, plenty of outlets for folks to follow you. And I think I heard uh, at least one of you mentioned that your radar works on mobile. So something for folks in Indianapolis, Charlotte, or elsewhere this weekend to keep an eye on. Yep. Yes. Sure does. That's uh that's good news too. So uh, gentlemen, uh, thanks to both of you for hopping on. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to tell us uh, about racecastweather.com? No, just appreciate you guys having us on the show. Yeah, absolutely. You're welcome to stick around if you want to talk to uh, Shay and I after the show, or if you need to run, that's fine too. I know we have some severe weather that is uh, changing our format just a little, so we do kind of want to take a look at what's happening elsewhere across the area. So again, thanks to uh, Doug and Scott uh, from racecastweather.com for joining us on uh, this week's edition of Carolina Weather Group. Uh, as we come up to the 9 o'clock hour, Shay, I know we've been keeping a close eye on the radar. And again, if you're watching with us on Facebook, on Periscope tonight on our enhanced broadcast. Uh, we still have radar for you at the top of the screen, and we have the latest uh, National Weather Service bulletins and advisories scrolling here on the right side of the screen as well. Uh, the good news is uh, we don't have any active severe thunderstorm warnings or tornado warnings right now. We do have some uh, tornado watches that will be allowed to run here for the next five minutes or so before they expire. So that's one of the reasons we wanted to kind of hold out on doing this uh, analysis as well, too, because a lot of the atmosphere, uh, Shay, is just kind of beat from the storms that came on through, and we've got nothing but maybe one little line left that is uh, between Greenville and, and Charlotte right now. But, uh, uh, Shay, I know you've been watching the atmosphere and uh, keeping an eye on some of these things. Um, it, it, I think we've pretty much run, run this out for the day. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's there's a little area by Macon, Georgia. There's still a few squall lines. There's still a few storm lines that are uh, pulling through Georgia right now. There's still tornado active tornado watches uh, that have just expired across the Midlands. Uh, there's one last one that's just lingering along upstate South Carolina and western North Carolina across Charlotte, uh, where this convective line of storms is moving through. And we still have a little bit of energy out there. I think for the most part, most of the areas towards the coastline got that really huge swath of rain today which pretty much stabilized the atmosphere uh, so we got rid of the instability that we had earlier on with all the sunshine and i think pretty much after this line may still you see that there's still some activity pulling in from alabama back here um, 
Montgomery and, and these areas back here where Birmingham is, you still have some of these showers moving in. This is pretty much wraparound flow along that upper trough. And that could still fire off a few storms overnight and maybe even into tomorrow morning. But I think as it approaches the coastline, you'll find that they'll dry out. Uh, as high pressure in the Gulf of Mexico wedges its way in, it'll sort of dry the atmosphere out a little bit from south to north. And that's kind of what we're looking at for tomorrow morning. Probably still a lingering threat of storms into eastern North Carolina tomorrow morning and into tomorrow day. Most of that should clear off to the north, maybe over the Outer Banks and up into Virginia and offshore of the mid-Atlantic as that upper low drifts off to the northeast. So um, winds along the coastline, and we always like to check in. Looks like we'll have a pretty strong gradient in North Carolina, so look for the winds to be anywhere from 20 to 30 knots. I mean, we're talking pretty strong along open areas over spots that will get the cleaner fetch. Uh, and that'll be more of a west, southwest to westerly flow. And then in, as we go down into South Carolina, we find the gradient relaxing just a little bit. We're in the low 20s and then down into Georgia, uh, northern Georgia, north of Asaba or Sapelo Sound, probably see a couple, a few upper teens, low 20s, and then fading out as we head down south towards Tybee. I'm sorry, not Tybee, but Jekyll Island, St. Simons, and down into Jacksonville, Florida, where the gradient relaxes. So uh, beyond that, into the weekend, looks like well, the temperatures we're gonna are gonna warm up. Uh, I did see, I did not check the temperatures today. <laughs> I've been a bad meteorologist today because I went kiteboarding after I got off work and I didn't look at the latest temperatures, but uh, we could get back up into the 90s. So we're looking at hot, but at least drier weather uh, with sunshine for the weekend for Memorial Day weekend. And back to you, James. Shay, if you had good kiting weather and you didn't go kiting, I'd be disappointed in you. So I'm glad you went kiting. Yeah, I had to. <laughs> Is that the right use of the verb, kiting? Kiteboarding? Yeah, kiting, kiteboarding, yes. You can, you can, yeah. you can play with it a little bit as long as you don't say uh, kite thingy. Kite thingy. Well, how, you, you speak my language so well. How did you know I was going to say kite thingy? <laughs> uh, let's do this. Uh, I want to pull up on the screen for you now. Uh, storm reports that the National Weather Service has received, both confirmed and preliminary, uh, over the course of the last 48 hours. We're going to start with Tuesday, and then we're going to go to Wednesday. And I've even expanded our view out a little bit to show a little bit more of uh, Georgia. I'm also just remembering that we have folks on YouTube. I'm so sorry, YouTube. Let me share screen as opposed to just doing what we do for Facebook and Twitter so that uh, I'm not ignoring you as well. So there you go. Now you can see exactly what we have up on our enhanced broadcast tonight on Facebook and Periscope. But uh, these are the storm reports from yesterday. Uh, I think the takeaway from this, of course, heavy rain with all of this. We all at one point or the other saw some heavy rain. Uh, here is a uh, measurement of uh, nearly two inches of rain in the Greensboro area of North Carolina. But we did have one minor injury reported and uh, most likely a tornado of some sort here. This is going to be, I believe, the Sampson County area as I make my way into Fayetteville. Again, these were yesterday storms that came on through. But we did have uh, confirmation of uh, some pretty extensive damage to a fire department in this area uh, that was completely destroyed by this likely tornado here that you can see was, was on the ground for quite a little bit. Here's some additional information for emergency management, by the way, about that one injury I, report, I, I talked about, emergency manager reporting there, that a mobile home overturned uh, in the Bearskin community. This was near Salemburg. Uh, so a minor injury was reported there. And, and you'll hear us say time and time again, mobile homes are really not a good place to be during severe weather. You know, Certainly you don't want to be leaving your mobile home in the midst of a tornado warning. But if you do live in a mobile home community and there's someplace else you can go ahead of time, 
that is always ideal because you can see just the destructive nature there of these storms. And there, in fact, is that uh, storm report I talked about, but the volunteer fire department that was destroyed uh, by the tornado. So as, as Shay mentioned a little while ago, the National Weather Service uh, today and yesterday, lots of storm reports coming in. They're going to be trying to go back out uh, and do as much assessment as they can. But you can see uh, what I suspect is even a water spout here off of Kitty Hawk yesterday. Yeah, a confirmed water spout uh, near the OBX fishing pier. So you can see uh, that we had storms across uh, a whole good portion of the state yesterday. Luckily, no tornado reports or even tornado warnings yesterday across much of the central or western part of the Carolinas, but that was not the case. Uh, if you happen to be watching us from southern Georgia, take a look at all of those tornado warnings, just one on top of another, which uh, if you'll remember from just a few weeks back, uh, this whole Jessa Pinesville area here, as you make your way down towards Fort Stewart to the south of Savannah, uh, seems to kind of almost be a hotspot for tornadoes this season for some particular reasons. So uh, you maybe heard me mention earlier in the show, the high school that my friend uh, works at. Here's that storm report from almost right across the street of the high school there. A member of the public calling in, seeing a brief touchdown of a tornado. So the National Weather Service not yet uh, confirming that touchdown there of any sort of tornado in Ludowichi. But I was watching that one spin yesterday on radar and uh, at least uh, radar indicated uh, pretty, pretty significant looking uh, rotation there as some of those storms came on through. Even on post, Fort Stewart having some downed uh, trees and power lines. Uh, uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some scattered hour outages. Uh, Shay, I'm going to let you reiterate a little bit of what you talked about outside the Savannah area and then Jekyll Island and, and sorts here. Or is this Tybee here when we were watching this uh, tornado worn cell kind of come into uh, the coast there? Yeah, that uh, I'm trying to remember where exactly that is. That that all is marshlands. There's yeah. Yeah. Tybee, uh, Tybee there's Wilmington Island, uh, which is in the mm -hmm. uh, in the other window. Uh, it all came across Chatham County from land and then went over the marshlands. So that area tends to be a hotspot for tornadic activity. If you if you go zoom back out and you can sure. look at all of those Oops. radar indicated tornado warnings. I mean, just a whole slew of them. And that area right there is is sort of where winds shift. So your shear starts to have an effect. Uh, at your mid-level and lower levels where your surface winds are coming in more from the south to south-southeast. And then you have a westerly, especially with this upper trough, you have sort of a west-southwest or westerly upper flow that's really cranked up. You're talking 35 to 55 knots and even higher as you go up. Uh, that's where your shear setup starts to begin in this area. So when you have surface winds coming in, when you, all, you have kind of an automatic rotation of the atmosphere itself. And we find that in various areas, Winyah Bay uh, or Bulls Bay, South Carolina. That's another area where you have a large swath of land where winds sort of bend in towards the coastline. And you can see all the green there. Those are all marshlands, very low-lying, cool. Yeah, you know, water temperatures are getting up near 80 degrees now. So they're starting to become a little bit more favorable for convective activities versus where before when they were cooler, they sort of acted as a stabilizer. Now they're starting to get to where they're feeding storms. So you can see all of that activity in one day's time, lots of uh, radar indicated uh, th tornado warnings going on in that area. And what isn't marshland in this area is is primarily sand or loose packed dirt. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we did see more reports uh, of trees coming down and, and such in, in that neck of the woods just because of the nature of the soil there. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's zoom this back out and let's go to today. These are storm reports compiled uh, from the start of today 
1201 uh, midnight uh, through right now. And you can see we saw a bit more action here in the Carolinas. Uh, Georgia, too, still getting in on some of those tornado so storms, not, not so much in the Savannah area, uh, although we did get, wow, quite an excessive amount of rainfall. Uh, as you make your way down towards Jackson, Florida, seven inches of rain near a tornado worn cell there, uh, and even three back towards uh, the metro area. So we saw some activity uh, in the North Georgia mountains. That's kind of what kicked off our uh, our severe weather day for you. If you were watching in the Carolinas, you saw the line first come through Georgia, of course, and then make its way into the Carolinas. Uh, as it did, we saw quite a bit of activity in the Columbia area, not only in regards to heavy rains and flash floodings, as we do typically see kind of in that metro area, it seems almost every time we get heavy rainfall there because of drainage, uh, but also uh, some of those uh, tornado-worn cells uh, to the north and to the uh, west of the city, clicking on some of these storm reports. Again, some of this information here may be a little preliminary, but in Prosperity Area, as Shay mentioned earlier, four houses damaged uh, as these uh, strong winds and possibly tornado came through. Numerous trees snapped and uprooted on uh, Stony Hill Road. Uh, again, more reports of trees being down. So you kind of see that right across this whole area here. And yet again, multiple trees down, damage to mobile home. You've heard us say it before, and we're saying it again. Uh, mobile home is not really the sturdiest place to be uh, during some of these uh, severe storms. Uh, elsewhere across the Carolinas, we did have a little bit of rotation that caught our eye in the Lancaster County area of South Carolina and eventually into uh, the Union County area of North Carolina. Watching this one rotate as well, even had a nice hail core at one point with pea-sized hail being reported in the Buford community. Uh, about an inch and a half of uh, rain fell here. Uh, three train spotters, uh, both reported, or all three of them reported, excuse me, a funnel cloud uh, with rotation in the Buford, Brooklyn, and Elgin communities in that Lancaster area, and that's what prompted uh, this warning here. This is still the Columbia office, but then it actually crossed back into the GSP area as it made its way back into North Carolina and towards Monroe, uh, where it was continuing to cause some damage, numerous trees and power lines down. Uh, this is in the Trinity area with, again, possible tornado damage. So it's going to probably take a little bit more reviewing of uh, radar data and also maybe a, a storm survey team if they do decide to go out to this area uh, to find out uh, exactly what may have happened there. We did not have any tornado warnings in the Charlotte-Mecklenburg area, although we had a nice rotating thunderstorm come through at one point. Uh, did bring down some power lines and tree lines in the Charlotte area, time estimated here by radar. Uh, and we also had a flood advisory as we began to see uh, water pooling on area roadways. So again, no tornado warning there, but was watching that uh, storm rotate as it, it came on through the area. Uh, where we did see uh, quite a bit of reported damage was to the north of uh, Charlotte and to the west of Greensboro, st stretching essentially from uh, just outside the Statesville area in Iredale all the way up towards uh, Martinsville, just outside there on the Virginia line. Uh, we did see some uh, broadcast reports of uh, damage. Uh, we have uh, several observed sightings of a tornado. This was uh, the, near the Courtney Elementary School gymnasium. That was destroyed. You may have saw those pictures making their way on uh, social media as well in Yakinsville there when the ceiling collapsed. Several vehicles actually flipped. Um, people were trapped inside their homes for a little bit. So I'm sure the National Weather Service will be heading out there to get an eye on the ground if they haven't already, uh, because it does sound, in fact, like uh, what is being preliminarily reported as possible tornado damage may, in fact, be the actual thing here, as we have, uh, again, a kind of uh, several uh, cells here, uh, or one cell, really, that was kind of tracked uh, for several polygons, is what I was trying to say. So we had this warning going for quite a little time as we were watching it uh, cause some damage and, and spin on 
radar. Uh, again, as it made its way uh, from Statesville, North Carolina, past Winston-Salem, and all the way up to Virginia those mornings, stretching for uh, quite a little while of time. I was trying to see if I could click on the warning and uh, get a better time for you, but I'm not sure I'm able to, uh, to do that in this particular view. Uh, up in the mountains, we did have uh, at least one tornado warning just outside of Morganton a little bit earlier, not seeing any preliminary reports of tornado damage there, although we did have some trees down. Uh, this is in the Marion area from uh, either that cell or the severe thunderstorm. Uh, but what I, I also want to mention is we did have a big flooding concern in the mountains with uh, between the land and the landscape there and the fact that it's been raining for so long in the Carolinas. Uh, this uh, The water didn't have a whole lot of places to go, so we actually had a preliminary report at one point of a landslide uh, in the Marion area. I don't see it out here, but I saw it in chat earlier today and emergency management was checking that out. So I'm sure next week when we're all back for the Carolina Weather Group, our friend Scotty can fill us a little bit in more uh, from what the Foothills Weather Network was seeing. But you can see a lot of those uh, flood advisories and warnings and such right up through that higher elevation just because of the terrain there and even stretching back across uh, Virginia and in upper northern uh, North Carolina. Uh, these were kind of the last tornado worn cells of, uh, of the evening uh, that were uh, kind of in that, I believe, Rocky Mount area. Yeah, sure enough, there it is. And uh, so we don't have any preliminary storm reports in just yet. Doesn't mean there hasn't been any storm damage. But as we talked about at the beginning of the show, it takes kind of everything a little while to kind of funnel on through the system. Uh, so we are uh, waiting for more information to possibly come in on that. Even Florence getting in on the action of today for a single tornado warning there issued for uh, for that neck of the woods. And uh, Shay, what is this little symbol here? I got a cloud with a question mark. Uh, tide gauge. Yes, High tide. Uh, that is, um, we, you can see 7.19 feet mean low level water. Uh, that is because we are in king tides along the coast. And so that what that means is, is perigee and spring tides. It means it's the moon and the earth are the closest together that they can be usually during a new moon, but sometimes during the full moon. This is actually a lower king tide event than normal, but with the added rains, uh, I'm glad that the rains tapered off because last night it was very problematic. We had a lot of flooding around the area yesterday. A lot of we had flash flood warnings and uh, the high tide, higher than normal tide that began uh, today. Technically, it still was higher yesterday, and that sort of exacerbated the situation, especially in the evening times for those low lying areas. And the known spots definitely flooded out. There were lots of streets closed downtown. So that's why they're mentioning that because of exactly where the tide gauge is. And the fact that we have higher than normal high tides coming in, they're going to mark that on that LSR every single time. Fantastic. So glad you're here to explain all that. It looks like, by the way, our tornado watches have all but expired. A few counties hanging on here uh, as you make your way towards the coast in the Newport, uh, Moorhead, Moorhead City area of uh, North Carolina. And I think those will be falling off here shortly because as we're looking at radar, uh, things are really beginning to wind down as this front kind of comes on through. Uh, and we've already kind of uh, stabilized the atmosphere, not expecting to see a whole lot of activity elsewhere across the Carolinas tonight. And I think that is certainly some good news. We can all take a little bit of a breather. And as Shay mentioned, maybe, just maybe, get in some nice weekend uh, weather here in time for the holiday. There's a smile from Shay. He's looking forward yep. to his Memorial Day weekend. I know we have run a little long here tonight, Shay. So uh, I want to uh, thank everyone who's uh, stuck around uh, with us. Uh, and also uh, thank again Doug Schneider and uh, Scott Martin for telling us all about uh, their RaceCast weather website. Uh, be sure to check them out, especially with so many race activities uh, happening this weekend. It's uh, certainly going to be a good resource. Uh, Shay, any closing thoughts from you? 
Nope. I, I think we're good to go. I mean, very well done on, on your uh, coverage of the Carolinas. That was, uh, boy, you covered every nook and cranny there. Well, <laughs> I uh, stopped short of reading off uh, power outages. Oh, no, no, <laughs> but uh, I think uh, Shay is in for a good holiday weekend, and I hope so many of you are at home. We will continue to watch the weather. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and all of our platforms, and even at carolinaweathergroup.com, because as many of you maybe have seen, uh, when the severe weather is rolling through the area, we have uh, live streams up for you, watching radar and all the latest information from the National Weather Service, because we do want to keep you informed uh, across the Carolinas, across the Piedmont, and across the entire Southeast. So on behalf of Shay Gibson, I'm James Brierton. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Carolina Weather Group, and we'll see you right back here next week.